Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Welcome again. Another week, another episode of Black Broadway Podcast, The Core Report. Black Broadway presents The Core Report. And you know what we do over here, man? We do the news. We got so many stories, all the headlines, everything from John Lewis's final rights, man, all his passages through all his old haunts, to laying state at the U.S. Capitol Rotunda. Of course, the protest, the streets is red hot. D.C. and all of the shenanigans that's going on here, not just politically on the surface and nationally, but locally, man. Of course, we got to talk about immigration, everything that's going on internationally, and the sports. The sports. The, the sports are real ridiculous right now, yo. You know, as a journalist, I slightly miss sports, even though that's not what I cover. But it's never a slow day when you're rocking with these games. So we got it going on, man. So let's start from the tizop, man. Representative John Lewis, man, RIP, man, longtime 17-year congressman, actually is the second African-American to lay in state in the rotunda in Washington, D.C., in the U.S. Capitol. The first one was Rosa Parks. Representative John Lewis is going to lay in state in the rotunda for, I believe, two days, and uh, then he's going to head off to Atlanta for his final burial rites. And over the weekend, his um, casket was carried in a horse-drawn garrison over the Edmund Pettus Bridge, which he more or less made famous for basically getting beat senseless on over voting rights. And a lot of people have mixed feelings about this. I do as well. Um, I'm not sure if I'm really okay with the fact that, you know, we always have to be attached to our trauma. Like, when a black person dies, like, their lowest, most scary, most traumatic point is that's where we want to, you know, attach them to and attach their legacy to for now and forever. A lot of people are discussing naming the Edmund Pettus Bridge after John Lewis. There's a large contingent of people in Selma, Alabama, who don't want to do that because there were a lot of people doing that work, crossing that bridge, having protests weekly, daily, before John Lewis came along. Because you got to remember, he was somewhat of the boy wonder. He was the youngest of the clique. So John Lewis is definitely a civil rights hero, and he deserves all the honor and all the praise that he's getting right now. And it's important that we not only honor him superficially, but we take into account what he was about and what he meant to say to people and, you know, move forward with that. That's important, man. But like I said, John Lewis, one of his most famous quotes, one of the quotes that people keep carrying throughout this whole entire moment is good trouble. And right now, gang, we are in good trouble, man. The protests are legitimately underway in a very major way. And we're not just talking about the people out in the streets protesting for racial injustice and protesting for police equity. We're talking about the government. The government has mounted an operation called Operation Legend. This is a real thing. Do your Googles. Look on the homecoming and, pardon me, the Homeland Security website. Look on ICE's website. Look in the internet. There is a lot of information about Operation Legend, what its goals and aims are, and how it is going to be deployed all throughout these United States. And it is scary, fam. But if you come from occupied territory, like a lot of us do, we remember jump outs. We know if you come from somewhere that's anywhere near the border, you know that Customs and Border Patrol doesn't just control the line. They control the 100-mile margin within that. So they've been snatching people and putting them in unregistered vehicles. They've been housing young kids in hotels. They've been doing things that 
people don't believe happen in the police force that are quote-unquote clandestine. So it's something to pay attention to. Portland, Oregon is going through day 60 right now of their organized protest against police brutality. Um, Protesters have been tear-gassed outside of Portland, Oregon's federal court, which has become somewhat of ground zero in this situation for the protest that's become the focal point of all the ire of the people of Portland, Oregon. And again, it's always important to look at the demographics of a place when you see people uh, protesting and you wonder, what is it that these people want? What has got these people so incensed? You have to look at the history of Portland, Oregon as a racist settler state and also as a place that the gentrification that it experienced was very swift and absolute. So in order to achieve that, there's always been a high level of violence when it comes to police and policing. So Portland, Oregon, even though a lot of people think it's like, oh, man, this is, um, you know, Portlandia and this is some type of white utopia. No, this place has a very long history of violence. So that's why all of this, you know, nobody ever thought Oregon would be ground zero of the uh, push for, you know, human rights, civil rights for black people in this country. But here we are. Again, people are being tear gassed. The mayor slash police commissioner already was tear gassed actively during a protest. Another protest led to this week a wall of moms that call themselves the mom block and the dad block has formed and all of these people are identifying themselves as veterans and, you know, concerned citizens. And they're still being brutalized by these unidentified federal agents in Portland, Oregon. And the thing is, yes, I understand that what these people represent and I understand that they're trying to be a barrier between the protesters and the aggression of the state. However, there's been people, again, who have been doing that work. We don't call them the mom block or the dad block when we show up in the neighborhoods and we protest against killings and violence and stuff. They're just black people. They're just men and women. You know what I'm saying? We don't get these special designations. And that, again, is disturbing because you got to talk about the narratives that are being created around protests because it's not stopping. It's continually happening. You know what I'm saying? Right now, in Seattle, the latest development of police is police are actually demanding that journalists turn over footage from a protest that took place in May so that the police can review it and find out who was setting fire to buildings and burning things and burning police cars specifically. That's something that happened in there. So these people in Seattle, Washington, the police department is making it a open appeal for journalists to betray the confidence of their sources. That's something that has really, really scary implications for the future of being able to report on anything. It's crazy. Nowadays, you already have to, if you're taking pictures down there, if you're taking video and you're putting that out online that can lead to people's arrest or people's, you know, deportation, things like that, you have to go through pains to like digitally unidentify people, swirl. You know what I'm saying? Blur, pixelate, all types of shit, man. It's, it's very scary. Again, we live in a surveillance state. Shout out to Dr. Ball for recommending that book, Surveillance Capitalism. I'm on that. That's something important. You guys should check that out, man. Another crazy, sad story this week, man, in Austin, Texas. And again, in this wave of attacks that I've often talked about, how people drive cars into groups of protesters in Austin, Texas, a 
protester or a dissident drove a car into a group of protesters and a young man named Garrett Foster was killed while he was pushing his girlfriend, who was a quadriplegic, who's also African-American, put this, this young man is white, pushing his girlfriend through the protest, he lost his life. And, I mean, just to think that these are the type of things that are happening, and these are the type of events that are taking place during peaceful protests, and nobody's being brought to justice, man. Nobody's having these real conversations about who these people are. You're not outing them. We're not having a conversation about, yo, where did this man get radicalized? How was he, you know, influenced to behave in this way or in that way? It's just, it's not making a lot of sense, man. You know what I'm saying? And again, we, as the protesters, the peaceful protesters, have to end up being the ones to bear the brunt. And that, you might want to come out here and check on that, yo. Meantime, in between time, I tell you, three people were injured in Louisville, Kentucky during a protest and a demonstration by a group called the Not Fucking Around Coalition. I mentioned them before on this program. Group of armed black people, mainly ex-military, a lot of people who have, you know, familiarity with weapons and tactics and who have decided to organize around this platform of, you know, showing strength through black people exercising our Second Amendment rights as well. Nothing wrong with that. I'm down with that. We talk about that a lot. Here's where it gets sloppy. They had a a demonstration, a gathering in Louisville, Kentucky over the weekend. And according to all reports that have come out of Louisville, three people were injured due to an accidental discharge by all, you know, accounts. It It didn't seem malicious. An accidental discharge due to just faulty handling of firearms. And three people were injured. There have been some charges filed, I believe, like, you know, some wanton evasion. I believe 11 people were arrested during this entire affair, but for different pro- for different charges. No one was arrested and charged in connection with a shooting in a malicious way or anything like that. But again, this is where it gets sloppy. If you're going to be the not fucking around coalition, if you're going to come out and represent, let's represent right. And I would highly advise anybody who's into exercising their Second Amendment rights in that way to get with my brothers down at Wilson Brothers Armory out there in Maryland and get the proper training. Get the proper training. Get the proper education. They're going to set you up. They're going to line you up. And they're going to point you in the right direction. So if you do want to join these groups, these militias, as is your right as a United States citizen, to arm yourself, protect yourself, and to organize in order to protect your community. All of these things I'm down with. All I'm not down with is the bravado without the necessary amount of discipline. So I'm hoping that, you know, again, this is early in these guys' organization. They were definitely being counter-protested by members of the Three Percenters, uh, the Boogaloo Boys, a bunch of other right-wing organizations that, you know, may or may not be in direct opposition to Black Lives Matter goals, but certainly embrace the whole idea of armed conflict. So you don't want to get involved with shit like that, with people like that, because it's a recipe for things to get violent. And when things get violent, we know that the state, the United States government, has a monopoly on violence. They know, if they don't know anything else, they know how to do violence. So You know, you don't kind of want, you really don't want to play that game with the United States government. You know, moving forward with another, you know, violent place, another history of violence, 
history of Chicago. Always talk, always laugh. I'm taken aback by how people are so disturbed and so taken aback by what's happening in Chicago in current day Chicago. And I'm like, well, doesn't Chicago kind of have a history of being a place where people get murdered in the streets? I mean, Al Capone and Bugsy Siegel and Lexi Luciano and Joe Colombo and all of that. I've seen all of those movies. Again, that type of violence is romanticized, whereas our type of violence is demonized and seen as chaotic and out of control. But somehow, some way, people hanging out of the side of cars, gunning people down with fully automatic weapons is, is romantic. But anyway, that's Chicago for you. In Chicago, shout out to the government, shout out to the mayor, and I don't say this a lot because I know that she got some stuff with her, but Lori Lightfoot finally moved in the right direction on these statues. You know I like having these statues removed. I don't like these symbols just around for them to gather around. Move these statues. They took down two statues of Christopher Columbus in Chicago over the weekend, one in uh, the famous Grant Circle. I believe that's Grant Park, should I say. That's where uh, Obama did his thing, you know, his victory speech and things like that. You know, so shout out to Chicago. Shout out to all my people in Chicago, too, doing their thing. My man Nick, Tia, Ronnie, whole Chi-Town Massive, man. They doing their thing out there. Moving further west, Aurora, Colorado, another car attack in a protest. Again, like I said, these people are driving cars, using them as weapons to not only disrupt the protest, but to use... Uh, to t- create the advantage of chaos and confusion and dissent around this whole thing. At this particular protest, apparently, a gun was fired as well, man. You know what I mean? More tactics, more just craziness going on in the world, period. Not just America, all over the world, as I've mentioned before. Russia. Russia has serious protests through all throughout the country. This was the previous one I reported on was in Moscow, This was in another city a little bit further off to the east where they're protesting the same thing. Putin's 16-plus year stranglehold on power and bills that are being passed that look like they could put him in position to be in power for another 16 years. People are hungry for democracy. People really desire to express themselves through free and fair elections and systems that support them. That's not happening worldwide. That's just worldwide we could talk about any country in the world really that allegedly takes on a western democracy model it's not what's happening man so again be aware stay vigilant of all the worldwide protests and watch it evolve as well in philadelphia this is something that i've been kind of tuned into and i think it's really great i think it's addressing a bigger problem that we're about to face in mass which is mass evictions but in philadelphia protests have taken this shape. They're currently people, according to a report in These Times magazine online, in thesetimes.com, check it out, single mothers and children have been taking over abandoned public properties in Philadelphia, fixing them up and limiting them. Listen, like, we can't be out here in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a world economic collapse, and have abandoned buildings that could house people being totally wasted. Philadelphia single mothers are taking matters into their own hands. This is crazy to see. And it's like I said, the next evolution in protest because these things have to become a lot more tangible, a lot more solid, a lot more real. I tell you what is real, these numbers. Renters facing possible eviction all over the country. The numbers range between 22%, that's the lowest, 
in Vermont. So 22%, two out of 10 of the people that are renting in Vermont possibly can face eviction or possibly facing eviction currently when the moratorium ends, which is this weekend, 55% of the people in Mississippi, and that's the high end, 55% of the people, half of the people, over half of the people in Mississippi are facing eviction when this moratorium ends right now. In D.C., the numbers are even crazier. In D.C., 31% of D.C. renters are facing eviction currently. Virginia, 34% of renters are facing eviction currently. In Maryland, 42%. Maryland, with the largest county that quote-unquote has the most black wealth, Prince George's County, large urban center in Baltimore, 42% of the people who rent in Maryland are facing possible eviction currently. So, again, more to shit to keep up with. That's where the protest is going. When people are not able to eat, sleep, feed themselves, you know what I'm saying, clothe themselves, when those basic necessities become real task and real hard to do, that's when we'll see things take a little bit more of a drastic turn. And unfortunately, like, you know, the media is not covering the constant dissent that's going on all over the country. They're not covering that. They're not talking about the fact that these protests go on every day and every night all through the country. However, when it gets violent, when it gets disruptive, when people, the people who are already downtrodden and not spoken for enough start to express themselves in ways that, you know, society doesn't find to be as nuanced or also aren't as easy to control as, you know, quote-unquote peaceful protesters. When the peaceful protests end... That's when we see what really, really happens here. And according to, again, more protest movement, more movement in the light of disclosure of what these people are really about. When we spoke about this on previous episodes, the 50A law that's active in New York, which hides all the disciplinary records of New York City officers and the trauma and the trouble that they've been through. That law was repealed during these protest moments. Again, like I said, certain little victories were, you know, had. So it's important to seize on them. ProPublica, who I've been rocking with heavily during my research for the uh, Core Report and other news-related products. Been rocking with ProPublica heavily. And according to ProPublica, they have the records of 12,000 officers, their disciplinary records. They have them right there in the New York City database, and they want to publish them and make them public. They have it online. I believe that they're accessible in some way, shape, or form. If you're interested, it's right there. And this is the information that they don't want you to have. The police unions, the government, even the law, even the district attorney's office. They're pushing back on this because it's going to be exposing a lot of people. A lot of drama comes out behind this. You know what I mean? But, again, politicians, politic, legislators, legislate. The facts on the ground never change unless we change them fully. So you have to be actively engaged in your community, in your hood, to make sure that, you know, you control the kind of interactions that you have with the police and that we have with the police to the extent that we can, period. Again, I have to go into the political direction now. We're on the protest. So like I said, politicians, politic, legislators, legislate. 45 of these politicians, they have been acting an exact fool for quite a long time. And it's interesting to see 
them trip up on their own shoelaces every now and again. Representative Ted Yoho, who literally came up to another congressman, sat on, in her face on U.S. Capitol grounds and called her a fucking bitch, had to actually walk this whole entire thing back, and now he's facing consequences. He has been forced to resign from a Christian organization that he was the chairman or the, one of the board members of, and the organization was forced to make a statement basically saying, this doesn't represent our values, this isn't what we're about, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. It's very interesting to me that, you know, these consequences and these circumstances, like, in this, in this moment, they seem to be flying left and right. Like, people are getting condemned, people are getting canceled, people are getting, you know, immediate pushback on whatever it is that they transgressed upon instantly. But I wonder how long-lasting that is. So you have to look and see if Ted Yoho's political power, if his seat is in danger, if his committee ships are in danger, if his influence is in danger of being shaken in some kind of way. Because if that's not the case, then, you know, kind of off or not. But AOC's influence and her ability to transcend and flip these kind of incidences where they constantly try to play her is impressive. She turned this into a whole viral moment. She got on the House floor and used the language that was used to address her on the House floor to make the point, which is something that a lot of people might have been shocked. Oh, she can't say that on the House floor. Nah, you can't say that to me, motherfucker. Like, so I'm totally with, you know, her embarrassing him by using his own words against him. And I'm totally against anybody who feels as though that's some type of breach of propriety. Like, we crossed that street a long time ago. Like, I was up there working. I remember Jim Traficante. That's all I got to say. I remember all of that. I remember every last thing that happened inappropriately in the United States Congresses of the early 2000s and late 90s. It was scandal on scandal on scandal. However, there's still got some idiots up there, and it never stops. Tom Cotton is the most recent chief of the idiot brigade. This man is a senator, okay? And being a senator is not a joke. Being a senator, a United States senator, is actually a very prestigious thing. The Senate is, quote-unquote, the higher house of the two legislative bodies, the House of Representatives versus the Senate. People don't call each other fucking bitches on the stairs of the Senate. You know what I mean? They have a lot more decorum than that. However, Tom Cotton has the intelligence and the educational training of a fucking backwoods redneck civil war reenactor who never read anything except robert e lee's diary this guy is actively trying to propose cutting funding for federal schools if they do not agree to never use the 1619 project which is written by nicole hannah jones brilliant piece of work she won a pulitzer for this Published by the New York Times, this whole entire piece of work is dedicated to examining the relationship of African Americans to the American experiment since we became a part of it in 1619. Before the establishment of, quote unquote, the United States of America, African Americans, black people, African immigrants were here as slave labor as explorers, as guides, as an integral part of this whole entire economy. So it's never 
too far. It should never be too far from our educational conversations. However, this guy is vehemently opposed to bringing this knowledge, this extremely well-researched knowledge, into public schools that receive federal funds, so much so that he's saying that we need to pull any funds. He also made another ridiculous statement where he referred to slavery as a necessary evil in order to establish what? This? We had to do slavery in order to do this? This isn't even... America does not even slap that hard, okay? For you to say that slavery was necessary to make this thing happen here. This thing could have been a lot better. However, Tom Cotton is a United States senator from Arkansas in real life. There's only two senators for each state. He's one of them. Yeah, that's 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 discouraging, guys. But, um, you know, I guess I can flip this into some good news because the Republican-controlled Senate has now, under the leadership of Mitch McConnell, rolled out finally the, the STEMI. The next STEMI is out, gang. It's like they said it's a trillion-dollar plan. They said we're going to do the big things here. We're going to get the $1,200 checks out to the people once again. We're going to cut that unemployment, though. So everybody who's been balling and living real big on that $600 unemployment additional, you know, bonus check. And it's like, again, this isn't balling and living real big because, to be quite honest, a lot of us would prefer to be at work uh, uh, increasing our earning potential, growing our ability to support our families, to move forward and advance in life instead of taking a government handout that, is due to a situation that is none of our faults. However, we're in it, and they said that this whole entire incentive of giving people the $600 just to live is actually dissuading people from going to work. I think that what's dissuading people from going to work is the goddamn numbers increasing. I think what's dissuading people from going to work is 150,000 people dead and over 400, or pardon me, 4 million people infected. But I could be wrong. I don't know. That's just what my ear to the street sense tells me. However, Steve Mnuchin and Larry Kudlow and the other economic advisors of the White House seem to think that it's a good idea to cut that $600 payment by basically $400. And they're now going to say that the unemployment insurance covers about 70% of lost wages as opposed to 100% of lost wages. Exactly, Lynette. That is not even money that, you know, we're borrowing against anything. They owe that money to us. That money is owed to the government, to the people of America. Ostensibly, this is how the money is getting spent. There's going to be a second round of PPPs, which allegedly are going to go out to the hardest hit small businesses, a lot of small businesses that didn't get taken care of on the first, first round. We'll see how that works. I'll put my hat in the arena. We'll see how that all works out. $105 billion is slated to go to education and education as a whole, a large umbrella. $30 million, $30 billion, excuse me, B, with a B. $30 billion goes to colleges and universities that are supposedly fu- publicly funded or whatever that receive public monies. $70 billion is going to the nation's K-12 to K through 12, um, school system. I don't know what exactly they're planning to do with that money, how they're planning to distribute it, but these are the numbers that were that are being thrown out. One hundred and sixty-six billion dollars, uh, pardon me, sixteen billion dollars is going to testing. 
$26 billion going to vaccine research, and $15 billion is going to NIH, the National Institutes of Health. Shout out to my homies who work over at NIH. I hope you guys see some type of bonus, some type of boost off of that. They got an extra 15B. Hold them to the fire on that. That's all that's going on right now. It's nothing going on but the rent, gang. If the stimulus passes, you all can expect another round of $1,200 checks coming out. There will definitely be a cut to unemployment insurance benefits starting this week. The last unemployment checks with that extra $600 went out this week. That's it. Next week, there's going to be a different situation. And that's going to make a lot of people adjust themselves differently. Hey, I'm a small businessman. I wish I was getting an unemployment check. I really do. However, I'm one of the millions, hundreds of thousands or whatever that they left out to dry in this entire situation. And the wildest part is I'm what you would consider an integral part of the economy. The money that I make, the money that I spend, all of that links into several larger businesses that I support that I keep going. And it's just going to be interesting what life looks like without so many of these small businesses. Like, you know what it's going to look like? Everybody working for Amazon. (laughs) If you ever see Sorry to Bother You, check that movie out. It's really good. They have this uh, whole entire thing about uh, worry-free and how that whole entire thing works and how people ended up basically signing up to work in a jail and be incarcerated. (laughs) So... That's where we're headed, gang. Unfortunately, I'm not really super juiced about it. And uh, you know how I feel about representative democracy and that it's generally a sham, but, you know, sometimes it's it's effective. Sometimes we get somebody in there that rocks. However, they're trying to decrease the odds of that happening again permanently. We know we have an election coming up in November. In Washington, D.C., we just announced today that there are going to be 80 polling paces for the whole entire city of Washington, D.C. for the election in November. I just want to, you know, clarify, last election that took place in June, we had numerous complaints about how there weren't enough polling places, how there weren't enough people familiar with the machines, et cetera, et cetera, long lines, et cetera, et cetera. We had 80 polling places dedicated for this election. Last election, you want to know how many polling places we had, gang? 160. We had those difficulties with twice as many polling places last election. So you can only imagine the type of farce that's about to happen, the type of scene that's about to happen in November during the election for the president of the United States in the middle of a pandemic that is worsening, in the middle or the beginning of what we would know as flu season, cold and flu season in America. Bro, this is also with heightened federal policing going on all over the country, this is a recipe for a disaster right here. 80 polling places. If you if you consider yourself politically active, if you consider yourself an activist, you consider yourself a doer more so than a talker, get out here and really make some noise and make some calls and make sure you reach out to your representatives, your, your representative, your ANC people, and ask them why our polling places are being cut in half. Ask them if it's a question of staffing, if it's a question of volunteers. I will put my hat in the arena. I know many other people who will do the same so that people can exercise their democratic rights. This is not, this, this can't be acceptable. We can't allow this to happen. It's less than 100 days until the election. Remember that too. 
less than 100 days until the next presidential election. 80 polling places for a city of, last I checked, it was about 700,000 now. You know what I mean? It's wild how the numbers went up crazy, and it's less of us. You know, when I was growing up, D.C. was, you know, a cool four or 500,000. You know what I mean? 80%, 70% black. Now we got 200,000 more people, and we're about 40% of those people. It's crazy. I guess none of us had the opportunity to move to D.C. in the last three years, man. If you did, shout out to you. But if you didn't, man, you know what I mean? You might have missed the boat. <laughs> you know, this is all happening right now. While our mayor, our, our, our mayor, our mayor, our mayor, Muriel Bowser, signed in an emergency police bill into law today. So this bill is now law. And this bill effectively bans the Metropolitan Police Department from using tear gas and all those other, you know, uh, very frowned upon methods for crowd control, et cetera, et cetera. Doesn't really specifically address community policing, which is super important to me because I'm in the goddamn community. I'm in the hood. I would like to hear a lot more about how she plans to, you know, solve the homicides and how she plans to deal with investigations and gun control. That's not really in there. I'll tell you what is in there, though. Body cam footage results. Body cam footage results have been extremely controversial in D.C. ever since the beginning of the body camera program, really, where there was a young man, uh, Terrence Sterling, I believe his name was, killed on North Capitol Street in a dirt bike chase with the police. There's body cam footage of the whole entire thing. That footage has still not touched the streets. People are still people are still asking for justice for that very specific case. And I know how, because every time I drive down, uh, what is this? Florida 4th Street, I'm headed to the 3rd Street Tunnel. You still see the shrine for the brother right on the corner in New York and North and, and 4th Street, headed into the tunnel. Man, they changed that whole traffic section around, too. Have y'all been down there? That shit is insane, man. I don't know what's going on over here in D.C. for real, man. New streets, new everything, man. And while we're out here doing all of this, our mayor is, you know, just showing off for the new folks, man, you know. Big shout-outs to, again, to bring it all full circle, John Lewis's funeral making a big stop down at Black Lives Matter Plaza. That was the place where he made his last public appearance, man. You know what I'm saying? That was the last time John Lewis was out here doing his thing, man. I'm glad that uh, John Lewis, you know, is being honored in the way that he is, man, because the world is going to need a lot more heroes. There's a lot more good trouble coming up, man. Listen, this coronavirus, this COVID-19, is putting us in some spaces where we're going to be isolated in our countries for a while, and the civil unrest, the level of political dissatisfaction is only skyrocketing, yo. In the United States of America, a lot of people, I've seen a few people make a couple little sneaky runs to Puerto Rico, you know what I'm saying? Shout out to y'all for getting on them planes and making that happen. Puerto Rico closed the, inter- closed the airport. Puerto Rico has officially closed their international airport. They're like, look, we're done. We're not having any more extra coronavirus cases coming in here. In the Philippines, they have instituted mandatory testing for thousands of people who lost their jobs and who are now, you know, I guess, dependent on the state to go back home. They have to have a mandatory corona testing. They have all of these people locked into these facilities like a, a basically a, a stadium. And they're all in the stadium awaiting corona tests, which will determine whether or not they can go home and enjoy and join their family. In Nicaragua, they closed the border so hard that if you're not, if you don't have documentation that says 
you are not positive for coronavirus, <laughs> you can't come to Nicaragua. Even if you're a citizen, even if your family is there, it just does not matter, bro. You cannot come to Nicaragua unless you got your paperwork. Paperwork, You know what I mean? Northern Africa, lockdown. I hate to hear this. You know, Morocco, Algeria, you know what I mean? All of these places, you know, no Casablanca, none of that, man. It's over. So, uh, you know, we're kind of stuck here, gang, for a little bit. So, and like I said, hey, I just wake up every day. I gather the news. I'm going to do the news. So, man, you know, we're going to be here for a while. So just, you know, buckle on in, man. And in the meantime, in between time, the citizenry is just not going anywhere. And it's wild to hear that while we're going through all this, we're still fighting a very dedicated war against, quote unquote, illegal immigration. Or we're fighting against, I don't, this isn't really a hot spot to, you know, illegally immigrate right now. I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there. Of all the countries that you could perhaps slide into right now, the United States of America would probably be low on anyone's list. However, these immigration, customs enforcement, customs, border patrol, these agencies that are zealously promoting this anti-immigrant angle, they've stepped up the propaganda another notch. Now they have something called a Citizens Academy. In Chicago, they're launching this. That's going to be the first city where they actually train citizens who are interested in learning more about defensive tactics and firearm trainings and field arrests so that they can deputize people to go out here and snatch illegal immigrants off the street. This is insane. This is, I, yo, I cannot make this shit up. I do not, I wish some days I was making this shit up, but I can't make it up, man. That's what's happening out there in Chicago. So, man, keep your head on the swivel, gang, man. And uh, like I said, the wildest thing in the world is that, you know, in between all of this, all these things that are happening, we still want to have sports. I don't really know why. I don't care why, to be quite honest. Like, I know, I mean, hey, I'm a guy's guy. I want to see a game or two, you know what I'm saying, every now and again, just like everybody else. But right now, we're in a really shitty space right now, gang. The NBA bubble, like, that's the first, that was the first league to officially kick off play. The NBA bubble is weird. Like, I mean, let's just get right down to it. This shit is weird. It doesn't look very inviting this the the noise the crowd noise is weird the camera angles are weird every time i see a replay i'm like am i watching 2k what am i doing here i just don't get it they're piping in fans they're putting people up on the digital boards that surround the joint and you know all that's like that's enough to make a guy want to go out and you know go to magic city and get some wings man leave lou williams alone lou williams is a goddamn nba institution okay Lou Williams has been in the league since Allen Iverson was in the league wearing 38 waist jeans to the sidelines bro Lou Williams is an institution okay Lou Williams is an important guy Lou Will of two girls and they get along like I'm Lou Will same guy you know what I'm saying this man is catching a lot of flack from uh, the league and from reporters because apparently while he was on a league approved four-day stay during this four-day stay he went to magic city and got some wings and did whatever else we do in magic city listen if magic city is open i'm a slide too man the wings are definitely official and lit enough to risk 
a little slight exposure. Let me go ahead and throw my mask on and get these wigs and, and dip set. I'm not going to stay long. I don't know Lil Will's story. He's not going to tell me, and I don't think it's important because people are definitely going to characterize this as they choose because now the league has gotten a word of this. They have said that, you know, when you leave the bubble, you got to do a mandatory quarantine for like four days because they test them so often that it's okay. You know, they just got it. They need to know after two 24-hour cycles how it worked out. But he, because he allegedly participated in risky activity, which is going to Magic City for wings, let I can think of a lot of things more risky, but whatever. And I can be assured that a lot of people are doing a lot more risky things within the bubble. However, this is what Lou Will has to pay. This is penance. He's on Twitter. He's having a good time with it. He's like, just relax and enjoy the memes. It's not a big deal. But I understand it. They need something to make a big deal out of, and they're putting me as the poster boy. Meanwhile, the Major League Baseball has 13 players on one team. 13 players on the Miami, formerly the Florida Marlins, have tested positive for coronavirus after their season opener last night against the Philadelphia Phillies, which has now screwed up the whole entire thing because the Phillies were supposed to play the Yankees. That game's canceled. And Baltimore, pardon me, Miami, who played Baltimore the other night, they don't. Baltimore's game is canceled as well because they played this team, so they don't know what their level of coronavirus exposure is. It's starting to look like a bad idea. It's starting to look and smell like a bad idea, as I said, from jump, from the beginning. So it's no need for anybody to, you know, wonder too hard if this thing is going to, you know, lead to more positive tests. This is only the beginning. We are just cracking the surface here. People are like, well, is the season in... Yeah, the fucking season's in jeopardy. Are you crazy? Yes, the season's in jeopardy. The season is very much so in jeopardy, gay. And in the meantime, in between time, shout out to my smart guys who are playing football who have decided to opt out. There are a lot of NFL players that every day, an increasing number of NFL players choose to exercise the option to not play, y'all. Baltimore Ravens uh, player, DeAnthony Thomas, Washington Redskins player, Caleb Brantley, decided to opt out. He he took the option so that he actually worked it out very well. He got a 350K stipend or advance for his season, and he accrued a season on his contract, which is important, especially when you talk about getting paid in the future, whatever that looks like. We'll see how that works out. Uh, Dallas play, player uh, Mo Kennedy, he decided not to come back. And the first player who decided to opt out is uh, a lineman from the Kansas City Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs, uh, Laurent Duvarney Tardif, who was the first one to come out and say, yo, I'm, I'm not rocking, ironically, white guy. Again, guess what this guy has his degree in? Madison! Fucking idiots, man. I mean... If a doctor who actually has to play a contact sport, who chose to play a contact sport, is saying, hey, guys, I'm probably going to sit out of said season of contact sporting this year based on the things that I learned in college. You should probably listen to that guy. He plays the sport and he got the education. But again, these aren't things that people want to talk about. These aren't things that people want to address. Just idiocy all across the board. 
Most of the players that opt out, this is their option. Their option is to get $150,000, again, advance against their salary for the next season, and they do not get to accrue a season when it comes through contract negotiations. So they can't say that, okay, I'm an XYZ amount year bet, so I should be making this minimum amount of money. That's nego- that negotiation is out of the deal. NFLPA, I don't know what kind of deals they're making out there, but we already know labor and management, those things get tenuous, and a lot of times labor takes a short end of the stick, man. Sports, sports, sports. People want sports back, bro. I don't know if I talked about this on a prior episode, but I have to say this is the most ridiculous shit. Roy Jones Jr. is fighting Mike Tyson. Like, this shit is really happening. Like, dog, I don't know why this is happening. This does not need to happen. First of all, I wholeheartedly believe that Mike Tyson will really hurt Roy Jones if he get his hands on him. Second of all, I don't want to see even one of these dudes fight because they passed their prime in a very real way. People not saying... People saying that Mike's going to get winded. I don't believe that. I just don't believe that these dudes have fought in a boxing ring for a long time. And as a person who watches boxing, dog, I'd rather watch people who box and who train to box and who have been actively boxing box for, you know, my entertainment rather than watching bum fights. But whatever, you know what I'm saying? Roy Jones, Mike Tyson, let's see how it works out. Nate Robinson versus Jake Paul on the undercard does concern me, though. I'm not really okay with that. That doesn't feel good to me. It doesn't feel like something I'm going to enjoy. But fuck it. You know what I'm saying? What are you going to do, man? Like I said, we're in the middle of a pandemic, gang. You already know what it is. Education is super key. Florida, children's hospitalizations are up 23% in Florida. However, they are insisting, insisting that schools be forced to reopen. Do with that information what you will. Trump's national security advisor. This dude's office is like four doors down from from Trump's office. He's positive for coronavirus. How Trump has coronavirus, doesn't have coronavirus, I don't know. I'm not sure I believe he doesn't. We'll see what happens. Like a lot of people say, that nigga is the virus. We'll see how that works out. Google. Google says you can work from home until June of 2021. Google, the company that is literally damn near involved in everything in everyone's digital life, says that the people who work for it do not have to physically report to their space until next summer. And I'm supposed to be in a rush to go back to work? I'm supposed to be in a hurry to go back outside? It does not make sense, people. Use your mind as the people who use their mind to create and you know, shape our world and our reality do so much, use your mind to protect yourself. Use your mind to watch out for your best self-interest and know when they're not being protected or guarded by not only the economy, but other people who would like to see you back to becoming a consumer, back to consumption. You know what I mean? Shout outs to, yo, this story, man, even, it's on my mind. Meg Thee Stallion, bro. This whole Meg Thee Stallion shooting and the Tory Lane shit, this, it's wild how the stories aren't coming out. And again, this is that old street code. I ain't going to tell, whoopie whoop, blah, blah, blah. They need to get that together. But what we're going to do right now is we're going to pray for that young lady to, you know, find some happiness and get some peace. And stay away from these bum-ass COVID parties. Any nigga that's having parties and doing podcasts all day, every day during the goddamn global pandemic is not good for your energy. That person is toxic. 
that's that's toxic behavior, yo. You know what I'm saying? So when you get too close to toxicity, you know, that shit can, can rub off on you. That shit can touch you. That shit can touch you in a very real way. You know what I mean? Not something that I wish for her. Not something that I wish anybody has to experience. So, man, how they say, man, guard your energy, protect your minerals, guard your chicken. You know what I'm saying? Do what you got to do out here, man. Get into your DMX zone, man. Post versus, man. It's so great to see DMX looking great, looking happy, looking healthy. They talking about another versus with uh, Nas and Juicy. I don't. That just sounds ridiculous. That's some Twitter shit that I'm not even paying attention to. That needs to get off my timeline immediately. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to everybody tuning in always, man. It's the top of the week. I'm doing the news. I'm doing this shit every day. You can watch. You cannot watch. I would suggest you watch because you might learn something. But at the end of the day, things work out the best for those that make the best of the way things work out. And you know what it is, baby. It's Black Broadway, the core report. And uh, we'll see you on uh, Tuesday, gang. Peace. Holla.